Hello, I'm Diana Edwards. This is Our Stories, Conversations on Conscious Living and Dying. All of these stories are courageous journeys of self-awareness and healing, often told by guests who have never been interviewed before. While each story is unique to the individual, these beautiful stories remind us that the human experience is a collective experience. And so, the wisdom you will hear and feel can speak to us all. Welcome to Our Stories. Lauren, welcome back for part two. I appreciate you staying and sharing more of these incredible stories of your life dealing with issues around death and dying and loss. So thank you. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you're so welcome. It's really nice to have friends help me get this started, you know, because it's a it's a new adventure and it's a little scary. So looking over at your shiny face <laughs> and the big smile and your kindness means a lot to me. So thank you. So we're going to jump ahead 13 years. You're now married. You're the mother of a three and a half year old little boy. And you're pregnant, eight months pregnant with your second child. And you had named her Alana. You knew it was a girl. And if I recall correctly, you and your husband decided to do one last fun family outing about a month before your due date up to a beautiful place here in New Mexico in Abiquiu. Can you tell us more of the story from here? Yes. Well, it was a beautiful morning and we loaded up our old Bronco with our dog, our golden retriever and our little boy to go take one last, as you said, you know, little family getaway with the nuclear family that we had then. And it was a beautiful sunny day. When we got to the lakeside and we're hanging out, it was increasingly worrisome because I couldn't get the baby to kick in my belly, my big basketball belly. I would push and I would be quietly talking with her saying, come on, baby, I need you to kick where I need you to stretch. I, you're, making, you're making mom nervous. And baby didn't move. There really is no way to describe what we were feeling in those moments. When I would push on my stomach and, and burr and my son, it would push on my belly and saying, come on, baby. We need you to move. And there was just this awful, empty, swooshing feeling. So we cut our day trip short, dropped off our son with some friends and uh, headed to the hospital and uh, called our midwife because we were going to have this baby at home uh, because uh, my first labor was quote unquote ideal with no drugs, just (laughs) a lot of hard work. So we make it to the hospital, and we were told that there was no viable heartbeat. When I was told that uh, I needed, that they would induce labor, I remember looking at them. I was just in such a state of shock. And I said, well, I don't have to go through labor, right? You can just take it out of me, right? I don't know what I was thinking. And um, they said, no, they didn't, they didn't want to do a C-section if they didn't have to. It was much harder to recover from that and that they needed to induce labor. So uh, I knew we were heading down the road to hell when the nurse blew up a vein in my wrist because she hit it wrong. And I've always been told I have really <laughs> thick, healthy veins and I've never seen a vein blow up. 
until it was in my arm when I'm in that hospital bed and I'm waiting to give birth to my dead baby. However, many hours later, that seemed like an eternity, we gave birth to our beautiful baby girl. And we had been warned um, she might be discolored, she might be deformed, that we may not want to see her. And uh, my husband and I both knew beyond a shadow of a doubt we needed to see her and we needed to hold her. And so they let you hold Alana. You and your husband stayed with her. Yeah, for several hours. And we even got some photos of her, which I still treasure. Um, and we got to tell her how much she means to us and always will. We actually thanked her for uh, coming into this world just in the nick of time so that it wasn't on the same day that her brother was born. She missed that by 28 minutes. So we were grateful to her for picking her own day for her birth date instead of her brother's. Do you still celebrate on her birthday? We do. What do you do? We just, I usually just light the candles on my altar and uh, just give her a big fond hello and check in. Your moment, your moment with that beautiful presence that she, she is and was. Now, one of the things that people may wonder about is what happened. And you said at the time no one knew, and they did an autopsy. And it was during the autopsy that they discovered that you had basically RH incompatibility. And what that means for our audience, and I'll explain that now, is every person is born with a blood type. You're either an O, an A, a B, or an A and B. Now, in addition to that, there is an inherited protein called RH, rhesus, that sits on top of a red blood cell. If you have this inherited protein, you're considered RH positive. Over 85% of the people have that protein. You did not have that protein, so you are what's called RH negative. Alana was RH positive. So what happened was your body, unbeknownst to you all those months, had identified her as sort of a threat to your health. An intruder. And this situation with RH incompatibility usually doesn't matter at all in someone's health unless it's around pregnancy. And it can be a mild situation, or in your situation, it was quite severe. And after the autopsy and all, they realized that your body had created antibodies to protect you from her. And she actually had been depleted of blood and supplies. And that, as you said, there was hardly any blood left in her at the time of her birth. So this situation then puts you on alert for any future pregnancies. And they do have a shot they give that they can give you during your pregnancy to prevent this from happening again. And I actually think they give the shot after the pregnancy is delivered as well. So after Alana, how long was it before you decided to try again? It was probably six months or so. Uh, just to back up for one minute, I just want to talk about something that's interesting generationally. Mm -hmm. uh, because my mother, when she was, I want to say, around 10 years old, her older brother, Lewis, died of leukemia very suddenly, within weeks after being diagnosed. Their family, back in those days, I think it was more common, really didn't talk about that. Suddenly, Lewis, he had died, and there really was no further discussion about it. That 
created a lot of uh, dysfunctions and fears in my mother and maybe even her brother, her younger brother, that maybe somehow she was responsible for Lewis's death, but it just was never talked about. And uh, my husband and I really took that to heart. And when we lost Alana, uh, our son was only three and a half at the time, but he was so heartbroken that we came home from the hospital with no baby sister for him, that we had to talk about it and we had to cry together and we had to hug and to hold and to shed tears together because we had lost a family member. Didn't even matter whether our son would remember it later or not. We just knew that we were all in this together and we all needed to do whatever we could to heal together as well. So then moving forward, maybe I want to say it was around six months down the road, I found out I was pregnant again. I want to say it was around three or four months when I miscarried. And and you had been given the shot this time. I had been given the shot. I had gotten the shot after, yeah, when I lost Alana, I had gotten the shot. So uh, I found out I was pregnant, miscarried that one. And um, wow, that just opened up all of the hurt from losing my first baby girl. I miscarried again after that a few months later. So you had two more miscarriages two more. after yes. Alana. So uh, at this point, I was approaching my mid-30s. I was placed in the category of high-risk pregnancy, which isn't exactly the club you want to belong to. So several months, within a year later, uh, I got pregnant again. And this time it felt like deep inside myself, I knew that this was going to be the last time. And as I turned to my husband through tears, I told him I honestly wasn't sure if I was more terrified or more elated that I was carrying a baby again. Talk about the two extremes, you know, of just pure raw hope and light and love and looking at the future as compared to the darkness past. So we, uh, Made it through that pregnancy. It wasn't easy. I, uh, I really had to work on my thoughts and uh, not let myself live with all of the fear that kept creeping in that I was going to leave the hospital again with an empty car seat and I was going to go home to an empty nursery. And those were some pretty dark thoughts. And I just kept telling myself, it's going to be okay at this time. It's going to be okay this time. At a future time, maybe I'll share with you some of those stories, my art little angel stories, I'll call them, uh, where I was getting signs that Alana was near and that this time everything was going to be okay. And I clung to that as any mom would. So you felt Alana came back for this third pregnancy after yes. her. Yep. And that this time it was going to be okay. Yeah. And we got a message. It was going to be a baby girl. And sure enough, it was because I was having ultrasounds like every month now, you know, mm -hmm. all these different tests. So as I'm approaching, you know, gosh, needless to say, once I passed that eight month marker where my world had fallen apart before. I you'd think I would be more relieved, but I wasn't because I, I knew all too well what was at stake and what could actually happen. So I go into labor. We uh, 
take our son to our friend's house and we get to the hospital and I was so gripped. I think it's because I was so gripped with terror and fear that I could not dilate past three. I was just hanging out at three for like hours and hours and hours before they finally gave me an epidural. I think it was 25, 26, 27 hours later, pretty tired when I'm in hard labor and my husband's with me, he'd been with me the whole time. And we've got the, you know, the ultrasound monitor on my abdomen. And I am so tired at this point and exhausted. And uh, all of a sudden, there was no heartbeat. And I look at the doctor and I look at my husband and the doctor looks at me and I start panicking. My husband turns green. If I remember correctly, I think he said he had to leave the hospital room just for a minute because he was so overwhelmed with emotion and fear. And I turned to the doctor with utter terror in my eyes. And I remember saying, everything is going to be okay, right? This is a, I'm not going to lose another one, right? I cannot go through this. I'm going to get my baby, right? And I loved this doctor so much because he was so calm always. And that was exactly the kind of energy I needed through this pregnancy. I will never forget. He was still calm, but I will never forget the look in his eyes. And it, it, it was very serious. And he said, Lauren, you need to push like you've never pushed before in your entire life. You've got to do it. We've got to get this baby out. I pushed with all my might. And uh, apparently our daughter had fallen down into that place in the birth canal where it's pretty normal, it's, you know, the no-fly zone. You can't get the ultrasound reading on it. And uh, that's where she was hanging out. When she finally came out, uh, her umbilical cord was wrapped so tightly around her sweet little neck that her face and body was purple and blue, which was terrifying to see. But the second they un unwound it and gave her some oxygen and cut the umbilical cord, she was good to go. She was our little girl that we finally got. We hugged that little sweet thing. Till the cows came home. Uh, yeah, she's our little miracle, baby. It's a phenomenal story. I Just from start to finish, it is, I'm sitting here in the same space with you across the room, and I just am beholden to the authentic beauty of what you went through. You know, it's it, it needs a moment, doesn't it? A big yeah. moment. But... There are millions and millions of women in the world who have some version of this story. And this is such a gift you're giving that I can talk about it. I learned ways of processing it and just the beauty. And I love how you call them tears of comfort, tears of spirit when they come up now. So I just really want to honor what you just shared and, and watching how uh, challenging it was for you to do this interview. And yet you were not going to be swayed. I really appreciate that. So what was it like moving forward after all these amazing experiences? You have your beautiful warrior daughter, as you call her, because she just came through so much and so well. And now you're moving on and dealing with what? What comes up? So I remember at the 10-year marker of my father's death, feeling a bit dismayed because I realized then that my father would always be a part of who I am 
and that that would never go away, and that that was okay. I realized then that it would take a long time to get over the sadness and to fill that hole in my heart. And fast forward when I lost my baby girl, and I've lost other people that have been so close to me in my life, I've realized that along with death, there are powerful gifts that last a lifetime. Uh, You know, if it hadn't been for my father's death, I may not have gotten back together with my then boyfriend now. Sweet, good husband. You know, that's a whole nother story. With the losses, I have gained immeasurable wisdom, messages from the other side, comforting goodness from those that I have lost, and a a more conscious awareness in my human life of the fragility and fleeting nature of life and the paramount importance of living with gratitude for every minute we have and for sharing our love, shouting it from rooftops to those whom we most love, because everything can change quickly. That's great advice. I thank you for sharing that. And I think of all the things you've shared with me on these stories when we were talking in advance of this interview, you know, like if your mom hadn't taken that job, you wouldn't have had that year with your father. And who knew that that was the last time you would have been able to be with him and heal so much. Right. It was a gift. It was a gift. And they're, they're tucked into these stories. And I think it's comforting when we can take the time, even when it doesn't seem like there's a gift, to maybe right. find just something that we can say, thank goodness that opportunity happened, or how you're now taking it forward and helping other people talk about these subjects and know they're not alone. Precisely. It's it's. It's healing, you know, it's healing to talk about it. It's healing when we silently reflect upon it. And it's ultimately just so healing when we can see, when looking back at the silver linings and the goodness and the blessings that have come from these experiences that have seemed so cruel and uh, so impossibly hard to get over. And it's part of the human experience that we're all here Yep. For and a part of. It's all about the silver lining. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. This was just so fantastic of you to come and be here today and share so much from your heart. Thank you, Di. And I'd love to have you back to hear the angel stories about Alana sometime. So maybe there's a part three down the road? Yes. That was just fantastic. Thank you so much, Di. Oh, Lauren, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 